Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Are you looking to provide biblically-based hope and healing to your community? Bob Kellerman is here to assist you with practical tips and thorough steps. His newest releases, Gospel-Centered Marriage and Gospel-Centered Family Counseling, will equip you to utilize your theology in a way that transforms relationships. To learn more about these books, please visit bakerbookhouse.com. bakerbookhouse.com. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my friend, Dr. Beaky. Dr. Beaky, welcome to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. Great to be with you, Dave. Can you uh, catch us up on your life, marriage, ministry, and what ministry products you're working on, sir? Well, there's a lot of activity going on here in this building. Um, in terms of my my marriage, my wife is still the best woman in the world, <laughs> so that's great. We just commemorated another anniversary, so we're in our fourth decade now. And we just had our sixth grandchild. It's something very special. All three of our children are having children this year, so we have one more to come in November, which hopefully will be the number of perfection of seven. So that's really wonderful news. The church is going well. About 600, I'd say, of our 700 people are worshiping every every week. 15% or so are probably still staying home because of COVID. We've had no flare-ups of COVID in our church, which is great. And in terms of seminary teaching, I'm teaching full-time this semester, teaching the Doctrine of Salvation, Christian ministry, uh, leadership, and practice preaching. And current ministry projects, my Reformed Systematic Theology that I'm co-authoring with Paul Smalley, Volume 2 is coming out in a few weeks, and as is a book on the Synod of Dort from uh, a German publisher. I've got two other books lined up for November, one on Calvin, the sovereignty of God and predestination, and one on the Christian teacher as office bearer. And then we just finished a book with Dr. Barrett. It's about a 500-page book, I think, with Christian focus on heretical, comprehensive call to holiness. And then I did, I also did uh, four little books with my wife, Mary, for um, children two to five. They're going to be board books, and uh, so that's being illustrated right now. Those are some of my projects. Wow, you your your productivity blows me away, and and I'm a product a productive guy, and I was just saying to you before we recorded, I don't know how you do all that, but uh, praise the Lord, and uh, as you said rightly, uh, one day at a time. So I, we we appreciate your work very much. Can you uh, just tell us a little bit about this new book of yours, Pastor and Their Critics: A Guide to Coping with Criticism in Ministry, that you wrote with Nick Thompson? Uh, why you two wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received. Yeah, so the new book that's uh, being released this week, Pastors and the Critics, is something that I've felt deeply about for many, many years. I was once asked to give a talk in South Africa maybe 25 years ago on coping with criticism in the ministry. At that time, I couldn't find any resources in my library on the subject except a little book called Taking Pot Shots at the Preacher, which wasn't a very good book. Uh, but anyway, so I just went to work and went from my own experience 
and thought this would be my weakest talk in the conference, I was astonished that the reverse was the case. And then I gave that talk in a number of places around the world and got the same reaction wherever I went. And as I started doing more study, I discovered that 85% of pastors who leave the ministry said their number one problem that overwhelmed them was trying to cope with criticism. And so I wanted to write a book, but I, I felt I had some things to say. I felt I had quite a bit of experience also in that area. Um, I joked that this is the only book I've ever written I feel qualified to write because uh, I've been through a few fires myself over the years. But what happened, uh, Dave, is that John uh, MacArthur asked me to come for his 50th anniversary to speak on uh, being faithful and coping with criticism. And uh, when I stepped off the pulpit after that address, there was a PNR brother, Presbyterian Reform brother, waiting for me and asked me if I would turn that address into something longer, into book form. And then I have a, a TA, teacher's assistant, named Nick Thompson, that um, came alongside me to co-off the book with me. I believe that this book has the potential of doing just, just a ton of good for a lot of hurting pastors. And that's our, that's our supreme goal. But 90% of what we say in the book can be used by lay people, other leaders in all walks of life, because a lot of people suffer from criticism in family, in the work setting, and so on. And the principles here, uh, almost all of them can be used everywhere. So we're hoping that the target audience isn't just pastors, but that is the, the narrow target audience. Very good. I, I really enjoyed uh, reading it. I thought it was really helpful, very instructive, very, um, not only, you know, biblical, of course, and solid theology as we've come to expect from you, but just very uh, practical, very pastoral. And in, in one particular area, I think that I know I've struggled with, I know uh, other friends and ministry struggle with is um, how, how do you as a ministry leader not take criticism to heart, but take it to the Lord? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. I think, I think I still do take it to heart and take it to the Lord. I think you can do both. Hmm. So the wrong way to cope with criticism is just say, oh, well, I'm just going to shake this off. It doesn't bother me. I won't, I won't take it to heart, but I'll just pray about it and like, let go and let God and it's all over. Um, I think then we're in some kind of denial. I know it's popular as the old saying goes, a minister should develop the hide of a rhinoceros and the heart of a child so that you're not impacted by criticism because you can bounce off of you except in certain cases and then you respond like a child. But I've never, frankly, in 40-some years of ministry been able to develop the hide of a rhinoceros. I'm always impacted by, by criticism, and I do take it to heart. I think that a physician who sees 20, 30 seriously ill patients a day often says, you know, you have to distance yourself from it. You can't take it too personally. I think I would probably agree with that. If a minister is getting criticized 25 times a day, I think you'd have to develop some technique. Um, but in the ministry, we do receive criticism, and sometimes serious criticism, and sometimes once, twice, three times a week. But usually, I think, once every other week, once a month. And I think taking the, that criticism to heart and then dealing with it as we take it to the Lord in the right, proper, biblical way is the best way of coping with, with criticism. Uh, so you've got to know yourself as well. I always say to myself, don't respond to criticism within 24 hours if I can help it, because I usually need 24 hours to process it and uh, pray to the Lord and just wait on Him and seek guidance from others and that type of thing. And usually 24 hours later, when the rawness of the feelings have subsided and the rational part takes over more, and I have a clear way, a 
clear way of responding. Whether it's my fault or whether it's not my fault, whether I need to apologize or whether I shouldn't, uh, once that's all clear, uh, then I think it's time to uh, to respond in dependency on God. Yeah, that that's that's really 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 wise. You know, I, I like you. I I was I've always been troubled by the whole idea. You know, you, you know, you do have to have tough skin in ministry. But uh, for me, I'm a very sensitive guy, and so sometimes I I take those things in like like you were saying very personally. But I, I have to, like you also said, take it to the Lord. And uh, something that's been really big for me personally is just seeing that person not as an opponent to be one, but oftentimes the critic wants to be loved. They want to be cared about. And, and I've learned that in leading many Bible studies. And, um, you know, they, they, they want the information. They want the Bible, but they but they also want beyond that. They want to be heard. So there's oftentimes I've learned a reason why a person that is criticizing me beyond just, you know, um, they want to say something to me or, or something, you know, um, you know, sometimes, although sometimes I'll grant as well, you know, they do have malicious intent sometimes, but oftentimes, you know, they're, they're responding in that way I've learned because they're, they're wanting to be cared about beyond just, you know, me relaying sound theology. Yes. And when that's the case, you know, the best thing you can do is go right over there the same day and over the next day and, and uh, just spend some real time with them and reassure them of, of your love for them and, and, and listen to them and agree wherever you can and, and then often you'll find that they'll come part way to you as well in the area of disagreement once they feel your love. That's really, really good. You know, we're, we're talking about this subject and I'm, I'm just curious what your thoughts are and what role a good friend should play in helping us to process criticism in the ministry. Yeah, a huge role in my life. It's a huge role. I've got one person who is my go-to person, and I'm amazed he's not tired of me by now, but uh, I, he's very, very wise, very mature, understands me well, knows me well, is totally confidential, and when I get criticized, I usually pray about it, like I said, sleep on it overnight, talk to my wife about it, um, she's also very wise, and then talk to this friend, so I guess I have two very close friends, my wife and this friend, and I'll usually call the friend the next day and say, here's the criticism, here's what I think would be the most God-glorifying way to respond. What do you think? And usually he has one of three responses. One response is, you know, this is the most common response. I think you're on the right track, but well, how about this as well? Or how about that? Or maybe tone that down and ramp that up. And, and um, so he helps tweak it. And that is just hugely valuable. Also gives me more assurance that I'm doing the right thing. The second most common response is, um, you know, what you said to me is exactly right. I would do exactly the same thing. End of conversation. Goodbye. <laughs> Um, and his third most common response, or his third response is, um, I think you're on the wrong track, and here's why, which actually doesn't happen very much anymore. I think we've learned to think a lot alike. But um, the reassurance of having such a wise person and to talk it over with, and even as I talk, sometimes I come up with new ideas because it's fresh and your mind is working on it. And um, sometimes he says things, and I say, well, why didn't I think of that? You know, it's obvious. So this person just is hugely valuable to me. I have other friends that... Um, I can go to in different areas of my life when I work, say, within the seminary, within the session of the church, that I could go to for advice in particular people problems, criticism problems. Um, they're not overall as effective as the one special 
special friend, but um, they can be helpful as well. So I suggest developing uh, two sets of friends. If you have even one in the first column where you can go to with anything uh, and really trust completely, um, you are, and he's wise, you are really a blessed person. The second category of close friends, um, I probably have five or six of them, and, and, and that's, that's great. They're really good friends too, but um, blessed, is the, blessed is the person who has one go-to friend that you can ask advice for in almost anything. That is uh, that is so good, and I'm I'm so I'm also very blessed to have a godly wife, and she's very wise. And um, just uh, when I when I have a something happen during the day or whatever, um, she also works from home remote for her job, and I'm able just to go to her, and and she's able to help me read whatever happened and talk about it. And she always offers very very helpful input. And then I will talk often to some very close friends about it, and like you, and and. Uh, um, they're always it's always an encouragement you know they they have a little bit different maybe perspective than my than my wife does but my wife you know she she really knows me very well obviously we've been married uh for almost 14 years now and so you know, we're very close by the grace of God. And, um, you know, she definitely speaks into my life. But I've also noticed, you know, my friends that are in ministry, they have a different way of, you know, comforting me. They they really, not that my wife doesn't understand it, she sees it, but it's it's, it's a little different, you know, it's... Um, they 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 get it they walk through that with in in the same kind of way and and so um there's something to be said there you know there there even the other day i had a situation where there was some challenges discouragement and you know my wife wasn't very encouraging but it also meant a lot that a particular friend of mine like you have uh, spoken to my life and just really encouraged me in that in that moment and so I, I think what yeah. you said it's just so right it's it's so needed well uh, sir what's your best advice to seminary students as they prepare for a life of ministry to prepare for criticism well it's quite interesting that um, my uh, my co-author in this book actually is just he just finished seminary and he's going to be installed in Tennessee in just a, another month or two uh, in a church there but he added an appendix to the book that he wrote completely himself and um, from scratch without any input from me. And he, I'll just read you the points he gave there. Uh, don't neglect your soul. Don't neglect your body. Don't discount the local church. Don't lose sight of who you are. Don't live for a 4.0. Don't pretend you are omniscient. Don't run from constructive critique. That's a, that's a really good one. Don't compromise in small things. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And don't forget why you are here at seminary. So those are those are some pretty some pretty good things. But if I could piggyback on that, Dave, a moment. I think that when you whether you're in seminary or in ministry, um, there's, there's several principles you need to remember as you face the future. First one is you always consider criticism inevitable. It comes with a turf. There's an old Dutch saying that says you can't expect to stand up in the front without getting kicked in the rear. It's just you're in a public position. Uh, secondly, you need to consider the motive of the person who's uh, who's criticizing you. Is it a laudable motive? Well, then you've got to really listen. Is it a corrupt motive? Well, you listen, but you probably won't change and don't need to change. Uh, third, consider 
of a source. Who is criticizing you? Is it a fringe member of the church who really isn't very dedicated to the church? Or is it the, an elder who you need to work with and whose opinion you deeply respect? Huge difference in how you would respond to that. And then fourth, consider the context. What, what, what's, what's generating all of this? And then fifth, consider yourself. Um, how should you respond? And what are your own weaknesses or strengths to responding in responding to this particular criticism? And then consider the content of the criticism. Usually criticism is not altogether right and it's not altogether wrong. So you get to dissect uh, what part of the criticism you can glean from, what area you need to change and how much, and then you implement that and you move on. You don't let criticism fester inside of you. And then consider scripture. Look at scriptural teaching, like for example, vengeance is mine, I will repay, that the Lord that has a lot to say about how to respond to criticism. Then you consider Christ. To me, this is the most important of all. If Jesus loves me despite all the sin that I've sinned against him and all the criticisms I've had in my heart against his um, providence, then if he's perfect, and he still loves me. Shouldn't I also have great toleration for my critic when uh, he criticizes me, often not unjustly, or at least partially not unjustly? So when you look at how Jesus treats us, then that will soften you in thinking ill thoughts of your critic. And then consider biblical saints. Consider how David responded to Shimei or, or Nehemiah responded to Sembella uh, and Tobiah. And then consider love, loving your critic, loving your critic enough to pray for him, uh, loving your enemies. That's really, really a critical point. And then consider long-term vision, long-term vision. Say you're getting criticized because you want something new in the church that the elders are, 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 are coming against it. If you're not making progress, you get discouraged, but keep the long-term vision in mind. Uh, church life is often three steps forward and four steps back, and then two steps forward, and then one step back, and then seven steps forward and three steps back. You know, but gradually you'll go forward if you keep the long-term vision and don't don't push it too radically. And then finally, consider eternity. Consider eternity. You're on your way to eternity, and a, a few small criticisms in this life ought not trouble you all that much. Uh, you you will come through them. Relax. Do what you can to resolve them and uh, one year from now they won't even remember them most of them so um, i think when you keep all these principles in mind uh, you'll be better able to cope with criticism that's uh that those are really really good words uh really good words one, one thing i know i'm i'm still learning to do even though i've been a christian now uh over 30 years um, is is to take those thoughts captive. You know, um, I, I have one friend and been a pastor for 40 years. He says, don't, uh, your thought life is like a movie. You know, you, you replay it over and over again. And and um, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I, I replay negative thoughts in my head. And by, by the grace of God, I, over the years, I've gotten better. But, you know, everybody has bad days, right? And, and I have yeah. to remind myself to do what Paul talks about in Philippians for to think on what is noble and good and pure and lovely that that is yeah. all that's in the word of god and in, as you said so wonderfully in christ and so i would just say dear seminarian friend just start learning to take your thoughts captive because and mm. into the obedience of christ because there's going to be many many times where there's many discouraging thoughts and how you're going to respond how are you going to respond to that you know not just to discouraging things that are said to you but discouraging thoughts that come but pop into your head so i would just yeah. say learn to take those thoughts captive into the obedience of christ as we've said you deal with it realistically 
you know, we're not saying you deny those things, you or minimize those things, you know, you process those things in community and with the word of God and prayer and but just just start to begin to if you're not already work on that and and um, that'll that'll really help it really it really does it yeah. helps the discouragement and the anxiety um, so yeah and what I can let me piggyback on that one thing so that helps in lots of situations and you discipline your mind and it's wonderful when you can rise above it there are also times however aren't there when no matter how hard you try to discipline your mind those thoughts just come in with a vengeance like waves big waves coming in and you, you can't stop them and at that point say I have a really bad meeting uh, which doesn't happen very often but a really bad meeting and I come back home there's been a few times in my ministry not not every year but a few times in my ministry I just said to my wife I'm, I'm going to my office to work because I know I'm going to just lay in bed and these things are going to go over, over and over in my mind. I'm going to be wrestling and I'm just going to lay it aside for now. I'll, I'll take it up tomorrow. But then I work till maybe 2, 3, 3.30 in the morning on another project and then you're so tired you do go to sleep and um, the next day in daylight, you know, you, you look at it a little more objectively. It's not quite as serious as you thought, that type of thing. And then you start dealing with it. So sometimes just switching gears and you can't switch gears in your mind, switch gears in your actions and that, that can help too. Oh, what you, what you just said is so important i mean sometimes sometimes i know i i'm guilty of overthinking things and then i blow it up in my head and then i'm like oh but then i come back to it as you said and the next day or a couple of days later i'm like you know what honestly that really wasn't as big of a deal as i thought it was you know and so 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 part of that is is uh you know we're supposed to be sober sober-minded and self-controlled and and that's really what you're touching on is is that whole uh, biblical category and you know i i've had to grow in this as well it's it's a it's a process it's it's just something where you just have to slow yourself down and say you know what how how like you talk about in the book you know our our responses to things are so important because they demonstrate what's in our hearts that's not a paraphrase of what you said but um yeah so yeah it's it's so important my my wife often says to me dave after i explain a certain criticism to her and i'm a little bit down about she she often just comes close to me, hugs me, and then she says, "You know what, honey? It's all going to be okay. The Lord, the Lord will take care of you. It's it's all going to be okay." Mm-hmm. <laughs> just hearing her say that is can be reassuring to me. And then I think that so I think that in my mind I try to let that keep going through my mind. Somehow it's all going to be okay. All things work together for good. God will bring me through this. Uh, give me wisdom, Lord, patience, and it's all going to be okay. You just keep talking to yourself like like David in you know spiritual soliloquy in Psalm 42. Why, why are you sad, O oh my soul, and why are you grieving? Hoping God, I shall yet praise Him. Is the health of this count, my countenance and my God? And that's the way to, to talk to yourself. So good, brother. So good. How how can pastors and elders create a safe place for criticism to be heard and taken seriously in our local churches? Yeah, boy, that's a good one. That's a good one. Not an easy one, but I think a pastor can help train uh, the elders and deacons. What um, we do, I think, which is really good, is uh, our full-time pastor gives a 30-minute presentation on some subject at every session meeting. Uh, so our opening is about 30 to 40 minutes, and uh, that's a wonderful opportunity to answer questions like this. Where you get all the elders together, they're all alert at the beginning of the meeting, and then um, give a 20-minute talk about how to do this. And then uh, have a ten-minute discussion, twenty-minute discussion. That, that that that's great. Now, how do you actually do it? What advice would I give to my elders?
others and deacons are like, what I would say would be this. Two things. Number one, to, to have meetings that are just cover-ups and aren't honest and open is not is not fruitful. And number two, to make comments that judge people, attack their personalities, rather than discuss issues is also not helpful. Which brings me actually to number three. Um, Paul used an interesting approach, and I call it the Pauline sandwich principle, which it's as if he throws a slice of bread down. It says in chapter one, Corinthians, I love you. I'm praying for you. appreciate you more than you know. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then comes the meat. First Corinthians has seven layers of meat. It's a fat sandwich because he had, he goes through seven criticisms about of them. That they're doing seven things wrong. And he approaches each one and he directs them to Jesus in all seven of them. And most people don't realize that on a, on a uh, cursory reading of, of the book. But then at the end of the book, what does he do? Well, he tells him, I'm going to come again and meet you shortly as soon as the Lord enables me. I, I love you. You know, great one now with a holy kiss. I love to you. Um, he's reaffirming them. So what he's saying is, here's another slice of bread to top off the sandwich. And they eat the sandwich because they're surrounded by Paul's love at the beginning and at the end. And too often what happens between pastors and elders is they just blurt out things, criticize each other without using the sandwich principle. And it, it's a disaster. But it's not only a place in the church. It's, you use this principle in your family, at least I hope you do, at the office. You know, just say to your wife, you know, um, when you get a bad meal, you're, you're, you know, you're a lousy cook. I mean, your wife would your wife get very upset. But if you said, honey, I love you so much, so many ways you can't believe how many ways I love you, but um, let's just say this meal, even though you're normally a really good cook, this meal's not, not my favorite, but I love you. Say it with a smile. And then you say, but don't get me wrong, you're a really good cook and I, I, I cherish you. Is she going to accept that? Of course. She's going to say, well, thank you for telling me, then I won't make it again. That's great. Um, so that sandwich principle of not demolishing people by saying nothing but the criticism, but putting the criticism realistically, because you really don't want to demolish people, putting it realistically between affirmations is is what is the most effective place, safe place to build up a constructive criticism atmosphere. That's uh, that's really good. I, I I've had many times where a pastors come to me and and said, "Hey, I need to talk." you about this which is scary um in many ways uh but you know they did exactly what you said and then they you know they they didn't just leave me hanging you know they let me ask questions about what this means and what this looks like and um you know they walk with me and then i would ask you know maybe down the road six months or a year um how am i doing in this you know uh, uh do i need to keep growing in this and you know being open to that kind of feedback is really, really, um, it, it's really important. Um, you know, uh, it's it's uncomfortable for the other person just as much as it is for you, but it's it's for your good, you know, and for your joy. And you know, don't view that as a as a bad thing. You view it as a as a good thing is to help you grow. Well, um, can you uh, tell us uh, a little bit about where people can find you online, either on social media or otherwise? Sure. Because 
Pittsburgh nonprofit. And uh, my Heritage Reformed Congregation is hnrc.org. The seminary I'm president of is PRTS, Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, .edu. Wonderful, brother. Thank you for sharing. I encourage our, our listeners to check out those resources. You know, there's a there's a lot, sir, that we could talk about about this subject. And just as we wrap up, can you give our listeners a few takeaways, please? Sure. Um, I think, remember when you get criticized that if you respond rightly, that's usually more important than the criticism you received. And usually, as you continue to respond properly and biblically, most criticisms will fade away, providing, of course, that you adjust it your actions where you need to. Um, so be humble in receiving criticism. Don't lash back. Don't be defensive. That never helps. And look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. That'd be the final takeaway I want to I want to stress with you. You know, you have never treated Jesus, and neither have I, as well as he treats you and me in the worst moments of our lives. Because everything he does is always for our good and his glory, mm. as hard as it is. And so if he's always treating us, are good. We ought to look to him for strength to treat others well, but also to bow in submission before him, whatever pathway he leads us. So look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Run the race that's set before you, laying aside all sin, and trust in him. Endure the cross, despise the shame, and to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's uh, that's wonderfully said, brother. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Beaky, for your time today, for your ministry. I just so appreciate your uh, wonderful book ministry and writing ministry and, and all that the Lord uh, has given you to do and have benefited from it for many years. So God bless you, sir. Thank you so much, Dave. God bless you. Thank you. I would like to thank Baker Books for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit the Baker Book website at bakerbookhouse.com, bakerbookhouse.com for the latest releases from them. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.